ultimately we're a whole body system. We're not just the ovaries, right? And so, and stress affects us on many different levels. Stress affects us in our digestion. Stress affects our microbiome, our gut biome and our vaginal biome. Stress affects our other hormones in our body like thyroid and insulin. Stress affects our neurotransmitters like serotonin. Stress affects our immune system. And because stress affects all these other systems, and all of those other systems also communicate with our ovaries and with women's health have to do with women's health. So ultimately, there's so many possible ways that stress could affect us as women because it's affecting all of these essential systems in our bodies. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another interview episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. As we close Women's Health Care Month, I am once again joined by an expert in this arena and one you heard from just last month as we wrapped up our coverage of stress in April. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Donnie Wilson once again. Dr. Donnie is a naturopathic doctor, certified professional midwife, certified nutrition specialist, and so much more. She is also the best-selling author of Master Your Stress, Reset Your Health. For more than 22 years, she has helped thousands of patients overcome health challenges and achieve wellness by using specific strategies that address the whole body and ultimately resolve the underlying causes of distress. Dr. Donnie suffered from migraines for years, and she dove deep into that story in our last podcast episode. She helped to solve this problem and now helps women recover as well as many others with her recovery protocol. Dr. Donnie brings awareness to the impact of stress on our health and how it is possible to recover from things like burnout and become more resilient, healthier, and ultimately lead a fuller life. You can find her blog podcast, and it's called How Humans Heal, and her self-care program on drdonnie.com. That is D-O-C-T-O-R Donnie, D-O-N-I.com. Before I bring her on, I want to remind everyone that this show is offered for informational purposes only. If you have specific health conditions, you'll want to connect with your healthcare provider to ensure that you get the right treatment for you. I'm so thrilled to be joined again by Dr. Donnie. And here we go. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Good to see you. It's so good to have you again. Now, in our last interview, we dove deep into the topic of stress and we touched on its impacts in women's health because... How could it not? It impacts all of our health. So I'm thrilled to have you back on now. And I think that's where we should start. How does stress impact women's health specifically? And when I think about stress, by the way, it's not just psycho-emotional stress. Yes, there's definitely psycho-emotional stress for all of us as humans. And some of us also experience traumatic experiences early in our life and even in adulthood. So there is psycho-emotional stress as a factor, but there's also physical stress as a factor, whether that's from an injury, infection, or even toxin exposure. So when I reference stress, I'm looking at all of the ways that all the things we're exposed to as humans in our lifetime, and even from our parents' exposure to stress. And the thing we know for sure, it's not about having zero stress. First of all, we're going to have stress exposure, and we have a built-in stress response that we actually need. So we want our bodies to have a healthy response to stress and then a healthy recovery from stress. The issue is when we're not getting enough of what I call anti-stress. If we're not getting enough recovery from stress, then we start to see the effects of stress in our body and on our health. And so what happens is, even if we just look at it from the stress hormones, so our main stress hormones are cortisol and adrenaline, Really, adrenaline is a neurotransmitter. So it's these are the one. the cortisol and adrenaline is what helps us when we have a stress response in order to protect ourselves and get out of danger. And when cortisol and adrenaline come back to optimal healthy functioning levels, they help us through the day with our daily activities and our daily functioning. So having optimal cortisol and adrenaline levels is really essential for our health because 
it's when they become either too high or too low, like if they get stuck too high or too low, they're not coming back to optimal. When that happens, then that's where it can affect women's health because it does affect ovarian function. And especially that's one of the main difference for women, right? Is that we have ovaries and the ovaries are, if you're menstruating or intent, they're going to be ovulating and making estrogen and progesterone in a regular cycle, unless you're on a birth control pill or some other uh, form of uh, medication that is inhibiting the ovaries. But in a naturally functioning ovary, it's going to be making estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and creating, having ovulation and creating a menstrual cycle. But when we're under stress and not getting stress recovery and our cortisol and adrenaline levels are out of balance, then the ovaries get a message to decrease their functioning, to not be ovulating and making hormones as efficiently and effectively. And so that's one of the main ways that stress affects us as women is the effect on our ovaries. But ultimately, we're a whole body system. We're not just the ovaries, right? And so And stress affects us on many different levels. Stress affects us in our digestion. Stress affects our microbiome, our gut biome, and our vaginal biome. Stress affects our other hormones in our body like thyroid and insulin. Stress affects our neurotransmitters like serotonin. Stress affects our immune system. And because stress affects all these other systems, and all of those other systems also communicate with our ovaries and with women's health, have to do with women's health. So ultimately... There's so many possible ways that stress could affect us as women because it's affecting all of these essential systems in our bodies. So how is that different than how it might affect a man? Well, for men, I mean, still, it can affect a man's digestion. And then it can also affect men's hormone production, like testosterone production for men. And it can affect their immune system, nervous system, all of that is the same. So really, those aspects of it can be similar. It's the main difference, I suppose, is in a man, you're going to see more likely changes in their testosterone production. Whereas for women, it's going to be changes in estrogen, progesterone and testosterone production. So much like I think many men think women are just a little bit more complicated. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's just a different body and different hormones, different levels. I mean, men also have some estrogen metabolism going on, of course. But yeah, it's like a little bit, uh, you're right, it might be, I would say the word may be complex. So it has a, there's some complexity to it. But it's also, I mean, I think that women's bodies have this amazing ability to sync with nature. And so I look at it as it's like a different plant, right? Like if, if you, you were just in nature, here's this one plant that responds in this way to stress. And the, hu- the woman's body is a is just like another plant that responds in a different way to stress exposure. I was thinking about this in preparation for today's interview. Initially, I thought, well, heck, women go through two major hormone shifts in their life, puberty and the menopause. But that's also not true, is it? Because we get many of us get pregnant. And there's massive hormonal shifts that happen during pregnancy, after pregnancy, during breastfeeding. So really, if we are procreating, we have a moving target for how our hormones are balanced. And I think that's part of why women's health issues are also (laughs) unique. I mean, we experience our bodies in a different way. We have a monthly cycle that changes our nutrition balance because we lose blood and we lose iron and other nutrients with that. But that also benefits things like heart health because we're losing some of the excessive nutrients that we might build up as men. So I'm curious as we talk about this to just help us understand this one comment that Dr. Bill Harris made on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. He said, there's three factors that we can't control for. You can control for nutrition, diet, lifestyle, all the stress that you experience and everything else, but you can't control your sex, your age, or your your genetics, really, when it comes down to it. And so I'm curious if we take that lens, if we understand that something like the health challenges we run into later in life, like heart disease, onset of early dementia, or things along these lines that can be really complicated, challenging to tackle, but also which seem to come on later in life. And we understand that women, we have a number one death cause of heart (laughs) issues too, cardiovascular health issues. So 
we kind of see these things as silent. And I guess what I'm getting at is, is that there's this perception that women have generally that a heart attack or heart health is more of a men's issue. We don't tend to discover that that's not the case until either someone in our immediate circle has a heart health issue or we have now finished menopause and our doctor brings it up. So I guess the big question is how do we better prepare ourselves for these moments in life? And how do we understand our postmenopausal health versus what led up to that moment? There's so much, right? There's so much in that. Like if we look at a whole woman's lifespan, there's so much we could get curious about and wanting to understand. I love that you're just bringing attention to it because I think that so much of the time we just race through the day and we're, we even aren't even thinking I'm in a woman's body. What kind of transitions is my body going through? And a lot of times we're even critical of, right? I think that there can be a lot of criticism of what is my body doing? Why are my hormones changing? Why do I feel this way? Why didn't I realize this, right? So we, I think that a lot of times women find themselves in like a place of either misinformation or lack of information or just a lack of understanding their bodies. So I'm so glad to be able to talk it through and have this opportunity to say, like, I would even just start by being like, okay, I'm living, you're living in a human female body. Okay. What does that mean? You know, what is that? Okay. That means, yeah, we're going to have some changes in our hormones and potentially at different rhythms and times than male humans and someone who has higher testosterone, right? They are going to have different patterns or someone who might be on hormone replacement or birth control, some sort, they're going to have, it's going to influence not just the menstrual cycle, but it's going to influence our energy levels, our mood, our sleep, the way we feel in our body, our focus, like it's sometimes I think with women's health, we think that it's only about the menstrual cycle. And no, it's it those hormones that estrogen, for example, affects us everywhere. Like how many women go through pregnancy and postpartum or period and postmenopause, and they're like, holy moly, this estrogen is not just paying attention to my menstrual cycle. This estrogen is like taking over my brain and my sleep and my, (laughs) my joints. And so realizing that these hormones are not just menstrual related, these hormones affect us everywhere. And I think that the more we can embrace our hormones, embrace what it is to have transitions in our hormones and embrace just that reality helps us to already become more aware of things like you're saying, like heart disease risk, like the more we can be aware of our bodies, we start to go, Oh, how do I take care of myself now, whatever now is for the listeners? How do you start taking care of yourself now in order to either prevent or reverse heart disease risk, dementia risk, bone loss, you name it, right? Diabetes, cancer, There's things we can do, and I just want people to know, you can start at any point in time, whether you're 30 years old or 70 years old, there's so much you can do to reverse either something that already exists or prevent it. And I think that's where I come at it from women's health is like, let's understand your body and what we can do to support it. And because when we give our bodies what they need to function at their best, to me, that's our best way to prevent all different health issues. Well, it's complicated, (laughs) complex. I also want to help us just get to a space where we understand what resources might be available. For instance, you treat a lot of women, you help them on their health journeys, pre, post, menopausal, I'm sure with puberty as well. So I'd like to understand what types of things that you're really helping them with and how much of it is directed, let's say, at diet versus lifestyle. If you were to put them in two buckets on a balanced scale? To me, it's really got to be both. I mean, a lot of times we're starting with diet because that's a, such a, I mean, even just to realize, wow, what I'm eating has an effect on my ovary function and my hormone levels, even postmenopausally, right? What we eat is going to affect our risk of various health issues. So yeah, I think starting with diet is a common place I start to be like, okay, how do we, to me, a balancing blood sugar levels is so important. I'm always looking for what are the changes we can make that's going to have the biggest positive ripple effect, right? If all the possible things you could do, I'm going to go for what is it that you could do that has the most positive influence on your overall health. And so that's why I right away, I think blood sugar balancing, because so many of us are 
reaching for carbs or snacking on carbs or going too long between meals or and noticing those blood sugar fluctuations or especially postmenopausally noticing blood sugar levels that are too high. It's very common for women after menopause to have insulin function go down and blood sugar go up. But that's also an issue for younger women too. So it's like just starting with how do we balance our blood sugar by reducing sugar, eating just the right amount of carbs we need and not too much and making sure we get enough protein and fat right? I'm laughing because I just am reflecting on my personal journey every time I come through my monthly cycle that I should have known because I'm always really hungry like the day before I start my period. And I want dark chocolate. It's like I will go through months and upon months without like really registering that moment until it's after the fact. Like, oh, I started my period today. No wonder yesterday I just wanted brownies and like lots of food. I could, I was insatiable. I'm sure that part of it relates to just my hormone fluctuation, but I don't tend to eat a lot of processed sugar. So I wonder in a way what could be causing these massive cravings just before I start my period, given that I don't have a lot of other symptoms. Like I don't tend to get cramping. I might get a little bloated. I don't have a lot of the other telltale signs that many women experience before they menstruate. There's different thoughts on that. I mean, one is that chocolate contains a good amount of magnesium. So, and at that time of the month, our body has a very high need for magnesium because the same enzyme that metabolizes estrogen also metabolizes adrenaline. And so we need more magnesium for methylation and that COMT metabolism. Sometimes, you know, you might be like, oh, maybe I just need some more magnesium and have a little magnesium with your chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> That's one, one possibility. But I think that also it's very common to have sugar cravings when we have fluctuations in estrogen and progesterone. It's also an usually the chocolate comes with some sugar, um, like in the form of a brownie, <laughs> usually has sugar in it more than usual. And so some of those hormonal fluctuations can affect our cravings and even um, blood sugar levels. And so the more you become become aware of it, like you're saying, you started to put it together, you're like, Oh, if I start craving brownies, probably it's because my period's coming. And you might then be prepared with okay, let me get some dark chocolate that doesn't have sugar, because sometimes that'll satisfy that craving without having a whole cake. What I also notice, and I don't know if you suffer from this too, but anytime I'm starting to feel under the weather, I want to get into the kitchen and start cooking. And it's just something that kind of I come back to. So if I start to feel like, gee, I really want to make a stew today, I tend to also go to my supplement cabinet and say, maybe it's time for some immune boosting supplements. And, and in the case of Orlo, I'm reaching for immunity boost, right? And some even just some basic vitamin C, I use some liposomal vitamin C, I might like grab for my multivitamin that I perhaps forgot to take for a couple of days, just to kind of cover that baseline. But I think the real root, the real thing that I try to impart to people is that you listen to your body and you learn to listen to your habits. Because sometimes those habits, habits are in place to kind of get you to reset. In my case, the resetting in the kitchen, perhaps why I gravitate towards that is because it also is calming for me to cook. And so if I'm starting to feel under the weather or overstressed, it kind of makes sense for me that I go to the kitchen because that's something I did with my mother growing up. And there's some joy in it. There's some nesting behavior in that. Yeah, I think we naturally, if we allow ourselves, right, if we allow our intuition and what naturally comes to us, oftentimes there is a reason behind it that's actually uh, helpful for us. Like I really do think we can have behaviors that are going to help our body and even our body encouraging us to do things that are going to be helpful. And I think that's more likely when the more we're aligned with ourselves and the more we're listening to our intuition, the more likely that'll happen for you. That's wonderful. So what other kinds of signs can we learn to listen for in our bodies? Well, I encourage people to look at five, I call it your daily check-in. So I look for how's your energy level? So is your energy lower than usual? Like, are you feeling like you're dragging and you need a nap more likely? Are you feeling like energized and focused? And that's the second one is focus. How well are you getting through your daily tasks? Are you feeling brain fog? Or you're like, Oh, I'm like making it through my to do list? Are you how's your sleep? You know, is your sleep? Are you going to sleep and sleeping through? Or are you waking up? And so sleep can be a real good way for us to get information from our bodies. Also, just I say your body in general, like, are you getting heart palpitations or pains or even just 
I was going to say like shaking or any kind of symptoms you get in your body, let alone the fifth one is your mood. How are you feeling more anxious? Are you feeling low mood? You know, how's your mood doing? So I like to check in in those five areas. I find that really helps us to get a sense of like, hey, what is my body trying to tell me here? I have a daily practice that I find immensely helpful. And I'll just share it with the audience here. I really love to stretch in the morning, just laying flat on my back in bed and just like feel as tall as I can feel and move my arms out and move my legs down. And I'll feel like the little pops in some of my joints as I do this. And then I just kind of run through a mental check as I kind of work my consciousness up my body from my toes to my head. And I find that when I do that, it's both centering, I'm checking in with myself and it doesn't take more than a couple of minutes. It's just part of my wake up. It's interesting because I interviewed a while back, Tina Muir, who's a marathoner. She's a former elite athlete who competed for the UK. And she does these together runs where she will spend an hour running and do a multi-mile run. And she's just talking to you while she's running like she would a jogger that's running alongside her if she was going out with a friend, right? This is something she started doing during the pandemic. And she has people do a check-in with nature. And so touch the ground, touch a leaf, do something like that. And then check in with their bodies as they're moving. Like, do you feel stiff? How's your head? Are you feeling stiffness throughout your body? Here's what I'm experiencing. How about you? And then leaves a space of time for them to think about that. And to me, those two things are very similar. It's a different approach, but I offer them because I think women can take this as an example and say, oh, well, how does that feel natural to me? Yeah, it doesn't even have to take very long, right? To just be like, hmm, what am I noticing? What am I feeling? Because otherwise, we're, we tend to race through the day paying attention to a million other things and everyone else besides ourselves. And sometimes then when you start to listen to your body signals, I also think that there's a level of acceptance and compassion that comes with it. Now, you're not listening in a judgmental way, you're listening in a compassionate way. Oh, if there's a symptom that means I'm going to be loving and supportive of myself and figure out what I need to address that and not judge judgmental and critical of myself, right? So we it gives us a chance to change our conversation with ourselves and to be a support to ourselves, no matter what else is going on, you know, you're there to say to be the one who says to yourself, how are you? And what do you need? <laughs> and you can count on yourself to do that. And there's then you start to build this confidence and trust in that relationship with yourself. I love that. Another tip I I like to share, this came from my massage therapist. I have a tendency because I work at the computer all day. So your arms are out in front of you, right? And then when you're cooking food, your arms are out in front of you. And when you're driving, your arms are out in front of you. We spend so much of our day with our arms out in front of you. And I also have breasts. So that's pulling on my shoulders. That's out in front of me. She just tells me every time you walk through a doorway at home, she's like, I understand you don't have to do this in public. It might be weird there. But every time you walk through a doorway at home, just let your hands kind of go to the frame of it and just let yourself kind of lean forward and stretch across your body that way. What this practice did for me was help to relieve tension which sounded counterintuitive, but right along my scapula, because that's where I would hold all these knots from, again, having my arms out in front of me all day long. And so this simple practice improved my overall muscle health and my, from my neck down through my shoulders. The other thing I noticed is that actually lifting weights, and this was feedback from my massage therapist. She's like, wow, you know, you're not holding tension the same way you do because I do hold tension in my shoulders. Right. And she said, you're not holding it like you normally do. And so I noted that I had been working on doing assisted pull-ups at the gym. And I think what's happening is just because I'm pulling myself up and I'm using these muscles, it's almost like that is relieving the tension that is held there because the scapula have to move over the muscles and I'm exercising the muscles. So even just paying attention to where your body might be holding tension and then looking at what your physical activity is to support that. It's not like I was doing a full pull-up. I'm doing an assisted pull-up. I can't lift all my weight with just my arms. I've never really been able to do that. And so there's machines at the gym that can help with that. And it's improved my posture, which has improved my overall health. So it's so true. Yeah, I love that. And I love just emphasizing you can start 
in small increments. You know, you don't just say, oh, I can't do a pull up. So I give up. It's no, how do we relax the muscles that have been decompensated and then retrain them into doing a healthy functioning? I call them the, these ones back here are the computer muscles. And then up in here are the phone muscles. Because we're like, we're constantly looking down at our phone and it uses all these neck muscles. And so this is the common places to get tight. And so yeah, whether it's massage or different forms of body therapy, myofascial release, there's different forms of physical therapy, they can help you release these muscles as well as my one of my favorites is acupuncture with electrical stimulation to really help release the muscles that have been like, they just don't give up because we are using them too much. And then having someone like a trainer or someone who can give you gradual gentle strengthening so that you can get those muscles working for you again and by doing that you're way less likely to experience injuries like believe me I I learned the hard way I injured my shoulder last fall because I was like oh I can do it and I was blowing leaves in the yard and my shoulder was like um no we really can't do this (laughs) and I now it took me months to recover so now I'm like okay I really want to retrain my shoulders So that if I do need to lift something, even if it's groceries at the store, I don't want to end up injured. And and so the more I think that as women, you know, we can learn how do I create core strength and joint strength without and muscle strength without having to, it's not like you have to be committing your whole day and going extreme with that either. There's ways to do it in small increments that can really make a big difference in your health. Now, I know we talked for a moment about magnesium, and as it stands in your book, you write about healthy fat supporting your health. Given that we have Orlo as the presenter of this show, I know that you recently received a package. I'd just love for you to talk for a moment about how omega-3s overall support women's health. Sure. I mean, that's the thing is, I I don't know how many listeners this is true for, but I know like when I was originally trained as a nutritionist, it was, this is back in the 90s when it was like, you're trying to avoid fat. And it was such a contradiction to me because I was also learning about essential fats, which is what these omega-3s or these essential fats that we have to get from our diet. And so it was this conflict like, oh, fats are bad and yet these fats are good and how are we supposed to reconcile that? And I think I find it still many people are very confused about that. I just led a whole group through a detox program and they were really still saying to me, like I was encouraging them to have these healthy fats in your diet. And they were like, is that going to be okay? You know, sometimes people are really worried. And I think to really start to normalize that fats are good for us. Every cell in our body, the cell wall is made of fat and the nervous system needs fats. And we need fats everywhere. Even our hormones are made from fats. <laughs> Estrogen and progesterone are made from fat. So we have, if we don't have enough fat in our diet, it's going to affect our ovarian function. It's going to affect our nervous system. It's going to also affect our aging. We're much more likely to have signs of aging in our skin and have skin issues if we don't have enough fat. I feel like I'm always like putting that right in for people is like, okay, first of all, let's make sure you have healthy fats in your diet. Things like olive oil and avocado oil and eat avocados and eat olives and have these healthy fats. And at the same time, take omega-3 supplement because I mean, yes, you can also have healthy fish in your diet. If you can get wild salmon and healthy wild fish, do that. But probably you're not going to be eating that every day, or some of you might be plant-based. So you might be like, okay, how can I get omega-3s? Well, you can get omega-3s in a supplement and that way you're covered because they really are essential for our functioning. Well, they're really essential. I mean, this is something that we talked about again with Bill Harris about getting to that optimal level of 8% omega-3 in your cell walls. And that's EPA, DHA, and other downstream omega-3s that are critical for cellular function, for ATP energy production, and more. And during that episode, he asked me to just go ahead and take the test that we're offering to our entire customer base. If they want to come on as a new subscriber, they can actually get a free Omega Quant blood spot test. So they can just prick their finger, send their sample in and register it online, go ahead and get the full panel of what their Omega-3s are. And I was telling you just before I brought you on, I just got my results. They were in French, which wasn't a problem for me. (laughs) The team over there is correcting that as we speak now, but I speak French. So I looked at my results and lo and behold, 
I thought, well, maybe I'll be high six, high seven. I've just been transitioning away from consumption of fish over the last few months. I've been working to get more of my omegas from plant sources and really at the same time trying to ensure that I'm consistent with my consumption of Orlo's omega-3s. So my results are in. Any care to guess what they are? Maybe medium? (laughs) Did it surprise you? I was medium and 6.37%, which is less than ideal, right? But it's not so low that I'm concerned. So what this means is that I'm just going to increase my dosage of Orlo's omega-3s by one soft gel a day. So I'll go from two a day to three a day. And I'm still going to work to consume walnuts every day because I I just put them in my smoothie, a handful, right? I consume some flax seeds. I consume some uh, chia seeds. I like to make a chia seed pudding. These all have healthy omega-3s in them. And at the same time, I'm careful not to consume any trans fats at all, which means I do not consume fried foods. I do not eat packaged bars that say anything like partially hydrogenated or fully hydrogenated any oil in them, even if they claim to have zero trans fats, because guess what? Those are trans fats. And it means that I'm very careful about what I do eat when I eat out. And so I think I can continue on this journey. And I'm fairly confident that with just one more soft gel of our omega-3 or DHA every day, that I will get back up to that kind of 8%. But you have to think, I mean, I was consuming fatty fish twice a week for a long, long time before. And so having stopped doing that about four months ago, that means that those stores are now not in my system. So I have to think of better ways to start to get myself back up to what is optimal. We know that at 8%, which is optimal, that all-cause mortality drops. So that's the reason you want to get there. And that's also the reason that we are initiating this whole campaign to help people. They can take their baseline test, see exactly where they are. I'm at a new baseline because I just stopped eating fish and then get a test again four months later and see where they are. Each of these tests retails for 50 bucks. So it's like we're giving our new subscribers $100 in tests for free. But this test also isn't so exorbitantly expensive that you can't just go do it yourself if you want to. And this is a a subject I touched on with Dr. Forrest Sauer, who's a, he's a, um, he's a chiropractor, right? We were talking about the fact that so many of these tests can be quite expensive, but sometimes when you go direct yourself, it's actually less, which is kind of mind blowing. Some you can get direct. Yeah. Some you don't need to have a practitioner. You can do some of the basics and I'm not saying practitioner like yourself. I'm more talking about through insurance. So for instance, when I try to go through my insurance for an omega-3 panel, my insurance doesn't cover it and I'm not sure why, but they don't. And so the lab, just because they touch it and they probably use somebody like Omega Quant's methods, they charge a hundred dollars. And so it's literally double the price of if I just went direct. Sometimes you need to be an advocate for your own health in this way and do a little bit of research or get a quote when you're looking at getting tested. There's three tests that I go direct for, and that's vitamin D, ferritin, because I check my iron levels every once in a while. That's also because I'm not eating red meat, right? So I check my ferritin levels, I check my omegas, and I check my vitamin D, and I usually pay for those about twice a year outside of what I do in my annual. I'm curious about what you test routinely and yourself. Well, those are good. I like to check ferritin on patients too, because it's often not tested. A lot of times practitioners are only doing like a CBC and the person doesn't have to have anemia and they might still have low iron storage. So I really like to check ferritin at least once a year and vitamin D too, because a lot of times people, I mean, it's a test that we can get done in blood work and often is covered by insurance. So it's like, might as well do these tests. So you just know, because otherwise, a lot of people are, they're not getting enough vitamin D, and they don't even realize it. So I agree with you, like those are essential tests. I have a whole list of tests I give patients, you know, that that you can usually get from a regular lab and usually covered by insurance, I feel like those really would be essentials. And then to know that it's not going to give you everything, you could have completely normal blood work. And still there could be something going on that's not showing because we can't find everything in a stand in standard blood work or even in a regular lab. 
Yeah. Have you ever tested your omega-3 levels? I have. Yeah, it was a few years ago, but I have. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. And luckily, I'm with you. It was like, okay, maybe it was like, yeah, moderate or a little better than moderate. But I do think like, to me, I'd rather have information because then you can be precise with your like you just described, like then you can say, Oh, I need one more pill per day. Like, otherwise, we're in the dark, and we're guessing, then we're it's like throwing noodles spaghetti at the wall, as we say, right? Do you want to just spaghetti at the wall? Or do you want to have a dartboard and aim for the middle of the dartboard? <laughs> yeah. And if you understand that vegetarians and vegans routinely are coming up at three and a half percent, and I've been moving more and more and more towards plant-based, and I'm still at 6.37. I mean, that tells me my supplements working. <laughs> it's hard to be vegan. And I know that a lot of people that are walking that path to be more and more plant-based, they face the same struggles. You have to make sure you're getting vitamin B12. You have to make sure that you're getting enough iron, especially if you're still menstruating. Iron helps you build strong bones. It's not just for your blood. I mean, there's all these things that you have to consider. And, you know, I don't do organ meats at all. <laughs> there's like the animal-based meat doctors out there that are saying things like organ meats for vitality. And especially if you have hypothyroidism, which I have, you should go on a carnivore diet, <laughs> just the polar opposite of what I want to do. And so I'm curious to know what your opinions are about some of these more extreme diets as they relate to women's health. Well, and that you reminded me that other the couple other blood tests that I always recommend people do, especially if you're plant based, you have a more plant based diet. Um, but really, I recommend this for everybody every year is to check homocysteine and methylmalonic acid. Because when you measure B12 in the blood, it's just showing and if you measure folate in the blood, it's just showing what's floating through the bloodstream. It's not showing us how well are you actually metabolizing and what are your needs for B12 and folate. So I really encourage people to not just go by a B12 and folate level in the blood. To me, those are pretty much useless tests. I would definitely want to see homocysteine, which is a part of the methylation cycle. And it gives us a much better sense if you need more B6, B9 and B12. And the methylmalonic acid tells us if you need more B12. When I work with patients who are either vegetarian or vegan or highly plant-based, that's definitely, I'm like, okay, let's make sure you're getting enough of these nutrients because it's possible. I have patients who are fully plant-based. It's possible to get the right nutrients and it's, it's possible to get enough fats and enough healthy protein, but it does take more of a concerted effort. You have to be more aware of which foods are you choosing in order to get those nutrients. And if you're not getting those nutrients in your diet, taking supplements to add them in, and then monitoring to make sure you're getting the right amount of those supplements to maintain those levels because it is, I mean, just, you know, as, as healthy as it is to eat plant-based, we have to know that it's it's sometimes harder to get to maintain some of these nutrients. And so we just have to be aware of that and be more intentional and careful about that. So when we're talking about these plant-based issues, the common deficiencies omega-3s, which we discussed, right? Vitamin B12, you mentioned all these homocysteine levels, which also impacts your heart health. So we need to be mindful of these things. Your LDL, VLDL screening, the things that are more traditionally associated with cardiovascular health, where do you put those in so far as the test ranking that you might produce? Well, I mean, we I usually will run a lipid panel, cholesterol levels, but to me... Cholesterol is more an indicator of carbohydrate metabolism because what's happening is when we have higher blood sugar levels, then the liver converts the extra glucose into cholesterol and triglycerides. So I, and we know that cholesterol is not the best way to assess for heart disease risk for women in particular, men as well, but women in particular, What's a much better way to assess for heart disease risk is homocysteine and what's called a cardio CRP, C-reactive protein, which is a measure of inflammation. Because we know that what happens is when we have inflammation in the blood vessels and oxidative stress, then the cholesterol and the plaques develop, but it starts with inflammation and oxidative stress in the blood vessels. So 
really for preventing heart disease and for me to get a sense of what is my patient's heart disease risk, I want to see what is their inflammation level, what's their oxidative stress in their blood vessels, and I start working on that. And if they have high cholesterol, then I'm thinking, how's their thyroid? Because thyroid also affects cholesterol levels. And how's their insulin function? And if I can help with insulin function and blood sugar levels, almost always the cholesterol and triglycerides come down. So it's, again, it's, yes, I pay attention to cholesterol, but to me, that's not the best way to really assess for heart disease risk. We got to look at the whole picture. Well, I love that. Now, what would you say to the avid exerciser that thinks that their cardiovascular health will be just fine because they run a lot where they do cardio? Well, that relates to your other question before, like some of times we go to these extremes with diet or with exercise, I tend to try to teach people balance and moderation. And really, again, coming back to our conversation about listening to your body, because and to me, it's also about knowing your cortisol levels. If we've, if we've been, if you've been under stress and your cortisol is either too high or too low, and then you go into either more extreme dieting or extreme exercising, you run the risk of pushing your cortisol even more to an extreme, more high or more low. And so I think we always have to, no matter what we're deciding in terms of diet, lifestyle, exercise. I really encourage people to always check in with your adrenal health. Let your adrenals guide your decision. You know, if your adrenals are really, your cortisol is optimized, your adrenaline's optimized, you then you might decide, hey, I want to go a little, do a little bit more exercise, or I want to do a little bit different fasting with my diet or whatever. But you know that you have a base of balance with your adrenal function, then that's a way better do, way to do it. But if you just all of a sudden heard, oh, I just heard about intermittent fasting for 18 hours, or I just heard about I'm going to train for this marathon, or I'm going to do this more extreme version of exercise. And yet you you're not sure how your cortisol is doing. And now you're choosing some stress, really, because extreme exercise or extreme diet change is a stress to our system, you're adding stress to a system that's over already overwhelmed. And you're likely to have less of a positive experience and potentially set yourself up for injury and, and setting yourself back. So again, I just would start with like, let's make sure your adrenals are doing well first, and you've got a good base and balance. And then you can go in increments toward, oh, I want to try this. Or I like how you even said you're making changes toward a plant based diet. It's not like you just overnight go there, you want our bodies do much better with gradual change. Well, and I'm trying to measure things along the way to ensure that I don't end up in health collapse, to make sure that I get enough protein and finding the right protein powders to augment my protein intake with that aren't going to upset my stomach. I found, for instance, that I'm sensitive to quinoa and some of the vegan protein powders have quinoa in them. And so I can't use those, right? Uh, Or I get digestive distress, which is creates inflammation. And then my C-reactive protein levels will be problematic. And we can just keep going down a road of actually creating a negative health cascade, which could impede my progress long-term. So I'm listening to my body. I'm paying attention to what works well for me and then what doesn't. And then making these minor shifts with time. I still consume some animal products. I will probably always consume eggs. And I find responsibly sourced local eggs. I have friends who raise chickens in their backyard. So I've got plenty of access in that way. But I'm making these choices that make sense for me and moments of time where it's not sudden. It's not like ripping off a Band-Aid and hoping I don't bleed out. It is ensuring that I'm making these mindful choices and taking steps each day to go in the direction that I want to from both an ethical and health relationship. So that's where I am. I know every person's journey in this way is different and I'm I'm really non-judgmental about it. So when I have friends who are on opposite spectrums of their diet journey, I'm just like, well, that's good for you. Just listen to your body, see what feels right. And if you notice something that isn't right, then look at how you can address it. I think that's the best advice. And for women, I think the menstrual cycle, it can often be that barometer. If your menstrual cycle is usually every 28 days, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I skipped a month or my period already all of a sudden came at day 14, then right away, when a patient says that to me, I'm like, 
Well, what was different that prior month? Were you under different stress? Did you change your diet? Did you, you know, what was different? Because the ovaries are paying attention. <laughs> so we think, oh, maybe they're not paying attention in there, but they are paying attention. They notice a lot of changes. And that's, I think, why a lot of times women will be like, wait a minute. Oh, I missed this, missed this cycle. Or, or even if you're working on fertility and you're like, why am I not getting pregnant? Well, your ovaries are probably picking up on stress signals that you weren't even aware of, you know, like you, maybe you're like, you weren't aware. Oh, oh, I'm, I've got a busy work schedule or I'm traveling a lot or I'm changing time zones, or maybe my diet is not as consistent, or I started this new exercise routine and you're like, well, why am I not getting pregnant? Well, because the ovaries are picking up on that or ovaries for fertility need a real sense of safety in our environment, emotional safety, physical safety, energetic safety. If there's anything that doesn't feel safe, the ovaries are going to be like, well, this is not the time for ovulation and fertility. And so that can also show up for women in their 40s where they're like, then the ovaries, I think, are almost almost more responsive because they're functioning is decreasing. So we're more likely to be like, Oh, why did I in the past, this didn't bother my menstrual cycle at all. But now I such and such happened. And now I missed a cycle or I'm heavier bleeding or more cramping. And it's because when as the ovaries are kind of decreasing their functioning, we're going to pick up on those signals more and things are more likely to show up. And so women are like, Oh, my gosh, what's going on? I mean, the thing is, is commonly, when you go into a gynecologist's office, the main tools they have are going to be prescriptions, right? So they're going to be like, oh, here, you can take a birth control pill, right? You can take some other form of synthetic hormones, even an IUD with synthetic hormones, or you can take, or you could have a surgery, but that you're talking to a practitioner who that's their options, you know, a prescription or a surgery, surgical intervention. But I always like women to know there's so much more we can do to help the ovaries that doesn't have to involve a, a prescription or surgical intervention, or can at least we'll work on alongside of those things, right? So we can, a lot of times we can help the ovaries to get the right signaling, you know, by doing things like dietary changes and lifestyle changes and exercise, blood sugar balancing, everything we've been talking about, the right nutrients so that your ovaries are like, oh, okay, we can ovulate and make hormones again. And you don't have to be experiencing all these unpredictable, miserable symptoms of menstrual related symptoms just by taking better care of yourself. And ultimately, the better care we take of ourselves as women, it's going to influence our health for the rest of our lives. I mean, really, the more you support healthy ovary function, at any point in your life, the more that you're preventing osteoporosis, the more you're preventing dementia, the more you're preventing heart disease and cancer, because you're those same ways that you support your ovaries are actually supporting your whole overall health. Well, I want to make one comment here because I did mention the fact that I check my ferritin levels a couple of times a year. The reason I do that is specifically because I used to have very, very heavy periods. So my levels of ferritin would drop quite a lot. I would be somewhat close to anemic. And so I just didn't have enough iron. And it wouldn't matter that at the time I consumed a fair amount of animal products. I just would lose a lot of it. Right. And what I learned was that when I supplemented with iron, that my periods got lighter. A lot of times we, it doesn't make sense, but I say that it doesn't make sense. It is like so true for me. So if I'm not getting enough iron, and so especially now that I'm transitioning towards a more vegan diet, I watch that because I don't want the debilitating blood flow that I experienced then, even in my teens. A lot of times practitioners aren't telling women this, but yeah, if you have low iron, you will bleed more and then you'll lose more iron. And it's like, you go, well, how? It doesn't make any sense, but it's so true. So if you, you have to be like, if you're bleeding a lot, that probably means you need even more iron to catch up and get ahead of that. And so now when I get consistently enough iron, my flows are just a few days as opposed to seven or eight. And I hear horror stories about women going through menopause and just having a lot of blood flow. I'm 46 now. So those days are, they're not as far in the future as they once were. So far, my cycles are the same. I'm about every 28 days. I don't seem to have symptoms of menopause yet. I'm hoping that that remains the case and that I don't have debilitating hot flashes or cramps or anything like that. But if it happens, I feel like I've got tools in my tool shed. 
I know that I can go to magnesium to support things like cramping. I know that I can increase my iron intake to hopefully help stave off some of the insane blood flow that might come that comes to many women in menopause. And I know that there are naturopathic doctors like you out there that can help support my journey. I wanted to point people before we wrap to your website because I love the test that you have to find out what kind of a stress person you are. I'm not surprisingly a stress magnet. <laughs> I took the test. And so what does that mean that I, I kind of thrive? I like to like inspire adrenaline in my life and probably burn out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, what I find is that so a stress magnet tends to have high cortisol and high adrenaline, or at least part of the day, or all day. It was not shocking for me. I'm just gonna tell you. You're like, okay, I had a feeling. I mean, the thing is, like, we get used to those levels, right? Because it's familiar to our bodies It's probably been a high adrenaline at times, many times in your life. And so what happens is our nervous system kind of is drawn to recreate the same thing that exists. So we automatically like kind of, yeah, our magnets toward high achieving and adding more things to our schedule. And, you know, like, so that's what that means to be a stress magnet. We kind of like keep replicating that same pattern of raising our cortisol and adrenaline. And so reasoning for the identifying the stress type is so you can, yes, you can laugh at yourself. You can validate yourself and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then you can start to make decisions where you go, okay, then I need to be mindful of that in terms of my diet, my exercise, my even my other recovery activities and the supplements that you take. Like how do we, like we can use magnesium to lower the adrenaline, for example. We can use other adaptogens that help lower cortisol levels so that you are helping to correct for that patterning. So one of the health challenges that women often face as they're going through their teen years, they're instructed, oh, you got to get the HPV vaccine now because you're going to be sexually active. I personally contract HPV when I was only 19 years old and had to get LASIK surgery to help with that. I also had to go in for monthly and then biannual and then annual pap smears to make sure that everything was okay. So what can you share with our audience that's current for today to help guide them as they confront these same challenges with HPV? Why well, I, I love to educate about HPV because it's way more common than we realize. It's actually most all of us will be exposed to HPV virus at some point in our lives. So I really like to break any kind of stigma or misconception that, that it means, you know, anything other than just you, you're human. We're going to come in contact with HPV and the vaccines only cover for certain types of of HPV. There's actually over 100 different types of HPV. And some of them are associated with cancer risk for both women and men. Vaginal cancer, but of course, this is for women, vaginal cancer, cervical cancer, also anal cancer, penile cancer, and oral cancer, like throat cancer. And the thing about it is that the rates of people finding out that they have HPV are increasing because around the world, more doctors are testing women for HPV now than ever. And in, in years past, women would go for a pap smear and they might only test for HPV if the pap smear was abnormal. But now it's becoming standard practice that when you go in for a pap smear, they are also testing for HPV. So more women are finding out that they're HPV positive when in the past they may not have known and the thing is, is that you can be positive for HPV. And what we know from current research is that we should be able to clear that virus. So the virus, the body, the immune system, separate from having a vaccine, the immune system can help fend off this virus. And even 90%, they say, of people can clear the virus within two years of it being positive. The thing is, is that that means that oftentimes women are going in for a pap smear, finding out that HPV is positive, and then the doctor saying, well, just let's wait and see, come back in a year and see if it's gone. And a lot of women are like, wait a minute, you're telling me I have a virus that could potentially cause cancer, and I'm supposed to just sit here and wait and see if it causes cancer. And a lot of women are like, I'm not willing to do that. I want to do something about it. And the doctors will likely say, depending on where you are in the world. I work with women around the world, so I hear all different opinions from different doctors, and they will likely say there's nothing they can do because there's no medication that can kill HPV virus. And there's, even if they need to do a surgical intervention to remove abnormal cells, it still doesn't kill the virus. 
Right. I could have come back. That's why I had to get checked so frequently. At first it was monthly and then it was every six months and then it was every year for a long, long time. Now my medical provider says, oh, take it once every three years because you've been okay for so long. And I'm like, no, no, I need to get it annually. And I fight for that. So you need to know your health journey. And in my case, because I did have this in the past, I need to advocate for that. Yeah, I do encourage women to advocate and to know that there's so much more we can do to help your body protect you from this virus. So I want women to know that it's just not the end of the road when you get if you find out you have HPV positive, And even if there's abnormal cells, and that's all your practitioners offering, please know that there's so much more that that I can do and that other practitioners like me can offer. I mean, it just so happens that I've been helping women for Uh, really like 25 years to help them to address HPV. And what I find is that there's so much we can do to prevent cancer from HPV. And really, we can help your body to protect you from HPV. So if HPV is not going away, because sometimes I'm talking to women who've had HPV positive for yeah six years, or it comes back, keeps coming back. And they're like, I'm tired of going through all of these procedures multiple times a year. And so then I'm working with, you know, sometimes complex cases. But what I'm seeing is when we implement the protocol, including some of what we were talking about in this conversation today about helping women to recover from stress, get their cortisol, adrenaline optimal, get their digestion and microbiome healing, get their immune system and their nutrients, if there's nutrient deficiencies, get them addressed, then your body can protect you from this virus. And then it's going to go to negative and stay negative. And so that's really my message is like, by taking good care of yourself, you can take care of this virus, you can get it to leave you alone and not be in constant fear of HPV related cancer. Well, I love that. I mean, again, have been religious about testing for this very reason, because it was scary at 19 to learn, oh, well, not only could this impact your ability to live, (laughs) because it could create cancers, it could have impact your fertility. And when we went in to take care of it surgically because I had a, abnormal cells, they were concerned that there might be some on my cervix and that could impact fertility long-term. Thankfully, that wasn't the case and my recovery was pretty smooth, but for a lot of people, it isn't. And if you don't detect it and it goes untreated, and you haven't managed your health to reduce its impact on your body, you can end up with all sorts of problems that we don't have time to cover today. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is sometimes it can be very, I just want women to know that whatever we can do to prevent that, that it's worth it to put the focus on you and put the focus on your health. And and a lot of times, actually, what I see in the because I run an online group for women who are helping to fending off HPV is that when we go about this process of helping them learn how to protect themselves from this virus, they end up transforming their health, their life, their future, because they're learning how to take better care of themselves and how and through this pivotal moment with finding out about HPV. So allowing that HPV to really be an indicator to say, Oh, your body needs attention, let's give it the attention it needs and help you protect yourself from this virus and so many other health issues. And this is exactly the reason I've been so open when it comes up, when people talk about HPV, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I had it and at 19. And at the time I was told by the doctors, to my surprise, at least 60% of the sexually active population has this in some capacity, has one of these at least. And I'm looking at them going, how come I never heard of it before now? People talk about herpes. They don't talk about this. Well, thankfully, we're talking about this today. And putting your health in your hands is where it should be. And then finding an advocate like Dr. Donnie to work with if you run into health challenges, I think is absolutely critical. Thank you so much for your knowledge on this and your hard work. The group that you operate, is that on Facebook? Is that what I heard? There is a Facebook group called HPV Healing Resource. So you can, that's an open to the public Facebook group. And then I also run a free live workshop like every three months. And you can find that through the group, the Facebook group, and also through my website. Um, you can you can sign up and then come to the workshop where I'm really teaching you everything you know need to know 
about HPV and how to protect yourself from it. And then I have a group program where we it's so beautiful to see these women who are then using my protocol to implement and actually also support each other through this process where they feel like they can finally talk about this virus and talk about what they've been through related to this and really encourage each other and be cheerleaders for each other in their healing process. Well, I love the resources that you have on your site. I love your podcast. So I will direct people with show notes to discover Dr. Donnie Wilson's website. And that's simply Dr. Donnie spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-D-O-N-I.com and your podcast, How Humans Heal. That's just an incredible show and you share such great information there. I also love following your social journey at Dr. Donnie Wilson on Instagram, which is just Dr. Donnie Wilson. And I wonder if there's any other resources that you'd like to point our audience to. Thank you so much, though. That's a great place. You can find most everything I'm sharing on my website and on social media. And yeah, I'd be happy to hear from anyone if you have any questions about stress-related issues, diet, women's health in general. These are all areas that I love to help people with. So I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And you're able to operate across state lines to at least do some coaching, correct? I have patients around the world. I mean, really, I'm helping people by, yeah, like, phone and Zoom. My practice is really specialty practice. So even though I'm trained and licensed to offer primary care in certain states, really, I tend to specialize in helping with these things we've been talking about where people are just not finding answers and needing more help um, so that I can guide them from wherever they are. Yeah, I love that. I'd love to invite you back to help me wrap up another month's topic and a future date. And so I'm sure our audience will hear from you again. Thank you, Karina. I'd love to be here. Awesome. I will be sure to include links to where you can learn more about Dr. Donnie Wilson with show notes, including those groups that she runs on Facebook to help women with concerns over HPV so they can reach full recovery. Now, I encourage all of you to go find her podcast, How Humans Heal, and take a peek at her website. You should figure out what type of stress case that you are. In my case, I guess I'm the stress magnet. I also encourage you to reach out and follow her on social channels at dr. Donnie, D-O-N-I, Wilson. Visit orlonutrition.com for our complete blog, including features that you won't find anywhere else. If you have questions about what we covered today or topics that you'd like us to dive into, please reach out via our social channels at Orlo Nutrition. You can always send me an email note directly via our website or just by sending an email note to hello at orlonutrition.com. Now, as a reminder to all of our listeners, you can have the opportunity to check out our omega-3s, be it the omega-3, DHA, or prenatal DHA, become a new subscriber, and get two omega-3 blood spot tests with your subscription, one to test your baseline, and one again after four months. Now, this is a critical new program. While our typical discount NWC20 won't work on that particular product, you will be able to get the benefit of that $100 in free tests. And if you aren't ready to do that big subscription, you can go ahead and buy any of our products with the one-time coupon code of NWC20 to get 20% off before checkout. That's at orlonutrition.com. As we close today's show, I hope that you will raise a cup of your favorite beverage with me as I say my closing words. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or. 